Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. And this episode, I will be talking just with myself. I will be sort of interviewed by you. I asked a lot of questions on Twitter and Facebook about intro to prepping. And the reason I'm doing this episode like this is one is that for some strange reason, everyone's busy and distracted is something to do with some kind of election or something. Uh, I won't pretend like I'm not incredibly distracted by that also. And possibly by the time you hear this, probably by the time you hear this, we'll have more information than we currently do. But during this particular run-up of events, as everyone is very concerned about what might be happening, I've been getting more questions than usual about basically just the the intro to prepping, what a to-go bag is, what kind of stuff you want to have around, how you stockpile food, things like that, basics. And I realized that I haven't really done an episode like that. So here I am doing an episode like that. Except actually after recording the damn thing, I realized it was... Uh, two hours of content. That's a little bit too long for one episode. So I'm going to split it into multiple parts. And this week's episode is going to focus on a lot of the basics. I'm going to answer a lot of questions. And I'm also going to talk a lot about the philosophy of prepping as a community-based idea instead of an individualistic idea. This podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. And here's a jingle from another podcast on the network. Da-da-da-da-da-da. So listen to the soul cast. Like, and believe me when I say to you, babe, I'm gonna... Oh yeah, the soul cast. A proud member of the Channel Zero Podcast Network. Every Thursday, I drop a new podcast, usually an interview with an author, an organizer, a revolutionary, an artist, a creator, a permaculturist. Basically, the soul cast is a compendium of tools, strategies, and ideas for building autonomy and revolutionary struggle. Listen to it on Channel Zero, on soulone.org, or anywhere podcasts are found. Welcome back. Again, I have no guest to introduce except myself. So I'm going to start by going through some... I'm going to talk about two different things. I'm going to talk about the philosophy of prepping, and I'm going to talk about the practical elements of prepping. And unfortunately for you, I'm going to start with my philosophy on prepping. And The single most important thing that I think I've talked about a lot on the show, so I won't go on too long about, is that fuck the the bunker mentality. Like, fuck the idea that the goal of prepping is to just be ready so that you yourself can survive in the woods hunting squirrels with a hatchet that you hit with the hatchet and then you eat them, and then that's, like, what prepping is. Because um, that's not a very useful way to be prepared for most scenarios. I guess that's a useful way to be prepared for like a solo plane crash when you're in the book Hatchet. And that's cool. I liked that book as a kid, but it's not a useful survival scenario for uh, most people in this world because we live in a world with people in it. And that's cool. So fuck the bunker mentality. One of the things that I want to talk about, one of my like rules for prepping and as much as I believe in rules, um, is that the abundance mindset beats the scarcity mindset in the long term. And by that I mean, rather than seeing resources as scarce that you must like hoard and protect with your life from the evil roving marauders, instead think about abundance. Think about the fact that like everything in this world, besides of course the natural resources, was, was made by people. And if people are still around, they can make it again. Now, because because it's people who feed people, not not systems. If capitalism collapses, which uh, certainly has some advantages, if capitalism were to collapse, there'd be obviously a lot of hardship, right? 
um, there'll be a lot of interruption in services. But if we handle this right, uh, it's only an interruption in services. And because all of the stuff people are like, well, how in a post, you know, post-revolutionary society would we make antibiotics, right? And like, well, the answer is like, well, how do we currently make antibiotics? It's it's people who make the antibiotics, yeah? So those people still exist. That knowledge still exists. Those resources still exist. It's just that the uh, system that manufactures and distributes them, the, the economic system, the governmental systems, those might be what is gone in certain scenarios, and not even in most scenarios. The way that I like to think about abundance versus scarcity is imagine two cities in a post-apocalyptic society. And one of them uses all their resources, their their scant caloric resources, to build walls. And basically it's like, we got ours, fuck you. And they have hoarded resources and they turn their guns on anyone coming from the outside. And this is essentially a nationalistic mindset. People don't like to realize that, but it's, it's nationalism. And nationalism is absolutely the core of fascism. And people present this as if it's like the natural way and the, the best way to handle things. Now imagine another city and in this city, there's resources, there's people, and they don't build walls. And instead, when people come to them hungry, they get fed and things get shared. And if you have a, a scarcity mindset, that's a terrible plan because there's only so much food to go around. Whereas if you have an abundance mindset, you think each new person who comes brings their own, uh, their own skill set, their own resources. People are an important resource. And not everyone who comes will be a worker. There'll be many people who are, you know, disabled or elderly or, or you know, incapable of, of manual labor in, in this or that way, although they still have absolutely things to provide for society. But a lot of those people will be capable of doing the work of like sowing seeds and, you know, harvesting and gathering resources, scavenging, looting, whatever. And so maybe maybe marauding, who knows? You know, it depends on the depends on your neighbors. And, and, and this mindset might have a, a short term, uh, might have, might be worse in the short term, right? You don't have as much food to go around to begin with, but instead you have far more of an opportunity to grow and to like, this is how fucking economies work. Like countries that grow have better economies. It's one of the reasons why nationalism has always been fucking short-sighted garbage, right? Is because people are like, oh, if we close the borders, then we'll somehow become richer. That's just like literally not how it fucking works. Trying to like protect yours at all, at all costs. Bad idea. Now, I'm not saying like, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not an authoritarian communist. I'm not trying to say that like you have to give up every, well, even authoritarian communists aren't trying to make, give up your fucking toothbrushes, a difference between personal and private property in the, the communist framework. And so I don't want to like talk that type of shit on communism, but you know, this isn't to say that you have to like give up your last morsel of food, but if you've got enough to go around, make it go around and friends are more useful than MREs. If you have a bunch of fucking meals ready to eat, waiting in a bag and you share them and you make new friends, that's going to do you a lot more good in the long medium and probably even short term than just holding on to them. So that's one of the main things that I think about, about prepping. Um, uh, that's not really about prepping. That's just like a, a philosophy about the end times. Okay. And if you know me at all, you know that I'm going to bring some weird esoteric shit into this. If my weird, like communist rant about two cities wasn't esoteric enough, but I'm going to bring in a couple different triangles. I really like thinking in triangles. I don't remember if I've gone over this on the podcast before, maybe I even did it on the last episode. I'm not sure. Thinking in triangles is a really good way to avoid thinking in dichotomies. If you have a dichotomy like good versus evil, then you just see like, you know, two extremes with something in the middle, right? That's not as nearly as interesting to me. And and traditional hierarchies aren't very interesting to me as an anarchist. Uh, so I like to split things into threes when I can, if it, if it makes sense. And one of the triangles that I want to draw for you right now is a triangle uh, with one side is gear, one side is skills. And one side is relationships. This is like the core of prepping from my point of view is these three sides. Now, I've been saying on the show, and, and I believe it, that relationships are probably the most important of this, followed by skills, followed by gear. But let's drop the hierarchy for a minute and just think about the three of them as separate things that intersect, right? And another thing that's great about triangles is each side touches every other side, right? 
And the thing is, is that like everyone's going to have different abilities to focus on different things, right? If you have a lot of money because you work all the time, but you don't have a lot of time to talk to people and you don't honestly have a lot of time to develop your skills, it's a good time to get gear. It's a good time to gather physical resources, distribute them to people, make yourself useful to people. And that is a really good way to build relationships. And sometimes, you know, okay. And so then maybe instead you're time rich, money poor, and don't like people focus on your skills and become useful in such a way that you can, uh, you know, help people. And that's, that's one of the ways you can build your relationships. And then, you know, maybe you're just like someone who goes to parties and is really social and doesn't actually have an inclination towards gears or skills, right? And you're like, well, how the fuck am I going to be useful? What the fuck am I going to do in the apocalypse? Like one of the things that people talk to me a lot about, a lot of people worry that they're like not useful. And I think it's because we have this mindset where everyone has to be useful in some specific way. Everyone has to be like hatchet squirrel hunting man, um, which, you know, has a lot of real specifics where you need a hatchet and you need to be a man and you need to want to eat squirrels. And um, I don't have any of those. No, that's not true. I do have a hatchet. I think I only have one hatchet, which which really says something about hatchets is that um, I have a lot of machetes. I have a lot of knives. Uh, I don't have a lot of hatchets. I do have battle axes. Battle axes are fucking cool. They're completely useless. Okay, anyway. Um, well, they're not useful if you're... Okay, I'm going to cut off my own rant about different medieval weaponry because medieval weaponry has functionally no purpose in any apocalyptic scenario except ones from fantasy books like Dice the Fire, which is such a great apocalypse book and such a bad apocalypse book and very complicated. Okay, so some people can develop relationships better than other people. And if you're good at developing relationships, like maybe you're, you don't think you're good at it, right? Maybe you've never like trained as a facilitator. Maybe you're not an organizer. Well, maybe you don't think you're an organizer, but you're really good at like getting everyone together to go out. Maybe that's something that you can focus on. And if you do focus on relationships and relationship building, one of the things that I would recommend to you is to think about the introverts who don't know how to reach out to people and don't know how to connect connect people and build networks and bring them into your networks. Some of the most amazing people I know, some of the most useful people I know, again, it's weird to talk about people as useful, but I'm going to do it in this context, are people who don't have hard skills, don't have any money, and what they're good at is finding weird loners and becoming friends with them or making them feel useful, making them feel like they're part of something. Learning how to make people feel part of something is really important. Okay, so that's the three sides of the triangle, gear, skills, and relationships. And and there's also just like ways that you can think about the ways they intersect, right? Like um, gear and skills intersect when you like think about how to use your skills, um, how to use your gear, whatever. Okay, I'm going to give you one more triangle. And this is another triangle that is important to me because I think that also a lot of prepping is short-sighted, right? A lot of prepping is about emergencies. And that makes a lot of sense. That's like the first place you start, right? You think, what if the power goes out? Or what if I'm alone in the woods and all I have is a hatchet and these squirrels? I'm really fixated on the squirrel thing, but um, bear with me. You know, okay, so like, how do you filter your water in emergency? is a very important question, right? And then there's the next step up. And some people think about this stuff too, which is like off-grid life is another side of this triangle. Off-grid life, like what do you do in your small community when the power doesn't come back on, when the grocery stores don't reopen? You know, how do you get through? Like, how do you start growing some food? How do you start like setting up not just a water filtration system for drinking for today, but, you know, gravity filters that or desalination, you know, solar desalination systems are off-grid skills, super useful, useful in rural areas, useful in urban areas. But then the, the third side of this triangle, which I think gets left out of most conversations, because I think people don't understand how much agency they have, how much agency we have. Literally, the society we have was made by people. We're people. We can make societies the governments that we have try to tell us that we can't. And so we're so used to having no agency that we can kind of only imagine agencies. It's one of the reasons people like fantasizing about the end of the world is because they like fantasizing about having some fucking agency in their life. 
You know, they're like, I don't have to fucking go to work. All I got to do is eat squirrels. Um, okay. Or like, you know, grow food. I guess that's a better way to do it. Um, I've probably talked about this before where I've read that during the Great Depression that squirrels and deer were hunted to near extinction in the U.S. And so please don't actually focus on murdering poor, cute, innocent squirrels. Okay, so the third side of the triangle is grid reclamation. And whether it means we rebuild the grid, whether it means we make a new one, whether it means... And by grid, I mean the interconnection of individual small societies to take care of each other, right? So let's take food as an example. On the emergency level of food, maybe you have some fucking builder bars around. I just really like builder bars. It's please don't take this as like an ad thing for builder bars. I just they're vegan and so I eat them. Um, you know, you keep some emergency food around, right? And then you have your off grid level of it, which is the like, how do you grow food? How do you get the the caloric needs of your community? And by the way, the answer to that is not just vegetable gardening. Um, humans need calories, which usually come from crops that are. Uh, a little bit more complicated than just vegetables. Don't get me wrong. I love fucking vegetables. That came off wrong. Um, and okay, so then, so there's off grid. Uh, oh yeah, so we need calories and we need oil. We need fats and, and and proteins and things like that. Those are often left out of the conversation, unfortunately. Okay, but then there's grid reclamation, right? Like at the moment, we have a lot of food grown in the middle of this country and a lot of food eaten by the edges of this country. And that's actually a fairly effective system. It just takes a large system to, to make it happen. But that can be done and it could be recreated horizontally. So on some level, the grid reclamation side of this triangle, one of the reasons it's my favorite side, I mean, it's like hardest to like prepare for, right? Um, but it's, it's the part where we actually have a fucking revolution and create a society that's worth living in that meets lots of people's needs. And it's important we we shouldn't sell ourselves short. There is so much shit we are capable of doing and we're capable of doing it together. And I don't just mean like you and your clique of anarchists or you and your clique of whatever else-ists or whatever. It's going to take a diverse set of people learning to work together. And that's like the big scary part that you actually have to make friends with people you don't get along with. Well, not necessarily friends, but you know, uh, work alongside of people they don't necessarily get along with and it's fucking crucial okay and so the reason that's a triangle and not a hierarchy is because these actually do each one ties into the other emergency ties into off-grid off-grid ties into grid reclamation and grid reclamation ties back into emergency because if you're recreating your own new system your own larger structures you might still need to be able to uh weather interruptions in in that service and it's probable that a horizontal scrappily built network won't be as like foolproof our current system isn't foolproof i don't even want to go on too much about that okay those are some triangles i'm really into triangles i live in a triangle i spent way too much time in that triangle uh during covid so that clearly gets into my head okay and then there's a couple more things that I want to talk about from a, a philosoph- the philosophy of prepping point of view. There's a there's a temptation to focus on like the biggest, baddest parts of prepping, right? Like people are like into guns and obviously a lot of people are really not into guns. But like, you know, when we think about conflict, we're like, yeah, what does the fighting look like, right? Or like, how are we going to survive? We all need guns because guns are like cool and we've been told they're cool our whole lives. And the last two episodes were about guns. I'm not... I'm not anti-gun, but it's like the biggest, baddest part. And then when it comes to first aid, everyone's like, how do you handle gunshot wounds? And I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. That's the only uh, first aid. Well, I guess, you know, it's not true. We did an herbalism episode. It's much more about holistic health. But, you know, we definitely ran a first aid focused on major trauma and specifically gunshot wounds. And I'm very glad for that. But hypothermia, big fucking danger, right? Shock. Do you know how to deal with shock? Also, like, uh, infections, like hygiene. People don't want to talk about hygiene. I have never seen a prepper list. I've seen one prepper list that was like wet wipes. And you know what's on my fucking prepper list? Wet wipes, soap, hygiene shit. It's fucking important because if you have nasty ass infections, you're going to fucking die, but it won't be like a big dramatic car crash die. It'll be a slow, shitty, whatever staff infection. I don't know. Um, 
And I say that one is like someone who's like learned that the hard way. I, I think people who listen to this probably know by now that I spent most of my 20s and early part of my 30s like kind of as a, as a crusty traveling kid who was off doing direct action activism. And like, you know, I was a forest kid for a while, right? So I would like go defend forests and I would, I, I, I've lived outside a fair amount. I don't know a ton about like specific survival campaign, but I have done a lot of fucking uh, sleeping in a sleeping bag in my goddamn life. And um, hygiene, it's fucking hard and it's overlooked. Everyone's like, you don't need a shower because it's the apocalypse. I'm like, you need a goddamn shower or you might goddamn die. Or, you know, other ways of cleaning yourself, right? But you do need to learn how to clean yourself. And I have definitely had like spider bites get staph infected when I'm living in the middle of the woods and have to hitchhike, barely able to walk to get to the fucking place to get antibiotics. And that sucks. Okay, so the things that aren't like the big bad first aid things are also really important. And then everyone's like, oh, we need huge stockpiles of food. But it's like the most of prepping... And, and this is another thing that ties into like, okay, I'll talk about this in a second, but the most of prepping is like when you're out and about, have a bottle of water on you, some lighters, a pocket knife and like shit like that, like wear less cotton and more synthetics and wool because they, um, well, it's the hypothermia thing. Cotton doesn't insulate very well when it's wet and including your sweat, whereas like synthetic clothes and wool will, um, insulate better. There's a you know, in, in outdoors world, there's a cliche, which is cotton kills and just ostensibly true. So like that's most of prepping. Most of prepping is just like small things that give you a lot of leverage. Most stuff that I would recommend prepping will fit in a fanny pack. And, and I'm going to go over a lot of that, a lot of those details a little bit later in this episode. So shit, there was some other point I was going to make. Oh yeah. And, and that ties into like one, okay. One of the biggest questions that I get a lot is people are like, well, I live in a fucking van or I'm like constantly being evicted or I just don't have any money and I don't have any place to store anything. And I live with six people in an apartment and whatever the fuck, right? Like I don't have like space or money to, to prep. And, and those people aren't being like, so fuck you. How dare you prep? Right. But they're instead, they're usually asking, well, maybe some of them are like that. And I don't know, maybe that's fair. I'm not sure. Prepping can be done at any budget. And prepping can be done to various levels. And also, you know, again, like um, if the financial thing isn't your strong point, maybe skills are, maybe relationships are. And then another thing that people don't quite think about enough with prepping, and this is kind of weird, but like one way to prep is to think about what you'll do when everything goes wild that you can't do now. As shit gets wilder, there are probably a lot more gunshot wound first aid medic trainings around you right now than there were a year ago because this year fascists like shooting us last year they probably wanted to but they weren't doing as good of a job of it and hopefully they continue to not do a very good job of it but it's on a lot more people's minds right and also because of this crisis a lot more people have a lot more free time because everyone's fucking lost their jobs and so you're able to go to some more of those medic trainings. And then more importantly, when everything goes fucking wild, again, like let's say that you're not very social and you're like, I can't work on relationships in the current system, right? Like you're like, I don't know how to talk to anybody. I don't go out much, you know, whatever. Like one of the things that breaks down as society breaks down, as systems break down is, uh, the social dynamics that keep us separated from each other. One of the fucking biggest problems with goddamn right-wing media. And like, by that I'm this case, I'm just talking about mainstream media, which is maybe not fair, but there's this idea that like when everything goes wrong, everyone, it's like everyone for themselves, you know, uh, you know, everyone scatters and, and tries to take care of themselves and then dies alone. Cause that's what you do. If you all fucking scatter instead of banding together is you fucking die alone. Like people learn in crisis that you hang out together, right? Like imagine the two most like homophobic fucking dudes who are like, oh my God, we're freezing to death in this cave. They're very rarely like, well, we can't cuddle because that's gay, right? They fucking cuddle. And then they like, you know, refuse to admit that it's gay or whatever. And like, well, it's not gay, but like, you know, whatever. They clearly still, once this, when normalcy remo- resumes, they might uh, change their interpretation of what happened, right? But there's a, a, a physical intimacy of taking care of each other that's absolutely essential. And 
people band together during crisis. There's other things that humans naturally do during crisis, but we can. But one of the things that we naturally do is take care of each other and band together and figure things out collectively. And we can focus on making sure that that's what happens, right? So if you don't have time to do any other prepping, just think of yourself as one of the people who, when crisis happens, makes things happen by being like, hey, everyone, I have an idea. Let's take care of each other and not let anyone else, not let any of us be specifically in charge and like introduce horizontal organizing. It'll probably work. Um, one of the best ways to describe the fact that we like all take care of each other naturally or whatever is like, or rather that the social um, social barriers disappear during a crisis is imagine waiting for a bus, right? Um, and while you're waiting for the bus and you're at the bus shelter, like no one's going to talk to each other, right? Or at least in a lot of cultures and a lot of situations because there's a lot of cultural norms in a lot of, a lot of us and, and other, uh, I think especially European, uh, descended cultures, but I'm not, I'm not entirely certain about that. A cultural norm that you don't fucking talk to strangers, uh, possibly because we got told our entire lives not to talk to strangers. And then as soon as the bus is like five minutes late, everyone's friends because you all have something to complain about together. And if someone suddenly has information about the bus, everyone wants to know, right? And we can focus on making that happen and everyone I've talked to basically says that like it is completely natural that during crisis, everyone works together until an outside force, until an authority tries to exert itself. That's when it becomes more divided and bad. Often it's the U.S. government trying to retake control. That's when everything goes to shit. Um, clearly, I have a bias, but that is my uh, that is my understanding of disaster studies as I've as I've read them. OK, so that's the way that when society breaks down the social barriers can often disappear. So if you haven't had a time to prep relationships, um, it would have been better if you prepped them, but you still have hope. Same thing with gear. And by that, I mean, you can steal shit after there is no more rule of law. Probably stealing shit from people is like, continues to be antisocial. And one of the things that I would like argue for is like pro-social behavior, right? Like learning to take care of each other is like real important. And when you start like robbing people, that's like, introducing a lot of conflict that could really blow back on you in really negative ways but there's like distribution centers and shit full of stuff stuff that you can't afford right now that suddenly when everything's free i bet you can afford so and this is funny too right because like everyone goddamn knows this every fucking even like mainstream disaster movies or whatever right like when your plucky hero is hungry they're gonna break into the grocery store and like steal cans of tuna and eat them and a cat's going to come up and they're going to shoo them away. Actually, I don't even know if I've seen that in a movie now. I'm just imagining it. But um, so everyone admits that when you're hungry, you go and take food. It's just going to happen. And, you know, and then yet at the same time, it's like seen as this great evil when it actually fucking happens. And it's not. It's just not a great evil it's complicated at worst, and it's amazing at best and most often. Okay, that's some basic philosophy about... Ooh, I have more basic philosophy to offer you. I bet you were like, oh no, Margaret's almost out of basic philosophy. Okay, there's a few more things that I want to talk about. One of them is that like, when it comes to skill building, you should consider... I hate dichotomies. I goddamn hate dichotomies. And people are like, should you be a generalist, like a jack of all trades, or should you specialize? Fucking do both. Because like, you should learn how to cook, but you don't need to be a culinary genius. And, but maybe you want to be a culinary genius, right? So like, learn how to take care of yourself and learn in as much as you can, right? Everyone has different levels of ability. But if you're capable of learning basic first aid, do it. If you're capable of like, learning how to identify some, you know, wild foods so that you can eat them safely, which needs a fair amount of work, but can be totally done, then you should do it. And and if you generalize in a lot of skills, you're going to figure out which ones stick out to you. It's like, nah, this is, this is, this is my shit. This is what I want to fucking do. Right. And then you dive deeper into those ones, right? I'm a, I'm a absolute generalist and I love being a generalist, but I've definitely chosen to specialize in some things, mostly writing and electronic music production, both of which are not meaningless after the apocalypse, but not the main thing, 
right? But fortunately, I'm a fucking good generalist. I built this cabin I live in. I am not an architect. And there are certain parts of this building that I had to run past people. And there are certain parts that I would feel perfectly fine replicating without anyone looking. I put on the roof myself. I was very proud when I put on the roof myself. It's a big goddamn roof. Um, I'm so afraid to do any more construction on my house during COVID because like, I can't get anyone's help because I'm terrified of people because they all have the plague. But anyway, that's a tangent. Generalize and specialize both. I think society would be fucking great if everyone just like took that onto themselves. Okay, this gets into the deeper philosophical bullshit. Another goddamn dichotomy that is absolute garbage. This one doesn't even deserve to be in a triangle. It just needs to be destroyed because both sides are wrong. There is this conflict that is often presented as left versus right, uh, that is often presented as like capitalism versus communism, that is often represented as the individual versus society. Uh, It's all goddamn garbage. Um, Dependence and independence, I'm going to use when I I talk shit on this particular thing, right? There is dependence on society, right? If you don't learn how to cook for yourself, you're going to need to be fed. Uh, And and actually, that will be the case for some people. And that's fine. Not everyone is going to be able to do everything. But for the most part, most people will learn how to feed themselves on some level if they have access to like, you know, groceries and shit Uh, and a kitchen. So you can be dependent on society, but then people are like, no, I don't want to be dependent upon society. I want to be independent from society. And there's this idea of freedom that circulates in the right-wing world that freedom means like no one tells you what to do. And that's just like absolute garbage. Like the only way to be free from a right-wing point of view is to be alone in the middle of the woods with no help or no in like no one else. And that's just trash. Like you're not free because you can't do the things that you want to do unless like literally all you want to do is hunt squirrels with a hatchet which case you're fine, assuming you started off with a hatchet. Maybe if you had like hatchet arms, you know, like that'd be like Survivor Man, right? Uh, it's like a guy with like hatchets instead of hands. God, that would be fucking miserable. Edward and hatchet hands. Um, Broman hatchet hands. I probably shouldn't do so many of these things by myself. Uh, speaking of needing other people. Uh, anyway, so... That's not what independence is, or that's like what presented as independence is like, you know, no one tells you what to do, but you're not actually free because you can't actually like, like do the the stuff that excites me. The stuff that I want to do with my life involves other people, right? So the capitalist mindset is that we have this like competition against society, right? It's like us versus everyone else in society. And that's the only way to be free. Absolute trash. Now the authoritarian communist mindset of like you must be absolutely integrated into society and like you know conformist or whatever and not all communist mindsets say this but many of them do um it's also absolute trash right like what we need to do is create a society where we're interdependent where what we can do independently uh which will again vary for each of us we often do right like like, I don't want, like, take food again, for example, from an independent point of view, everyone eats all themselves, eats by themselves and cooks for themselves all the time. Or you go to restaurants, which is involves the exchange of money because it's, which, you know, relies on this competitive model of economics, right? Um, or the dependent version of society where like, you just go to the mess hall and you meet, ev- you eat every meal in the mess hall or whatever, right? And like, we should just literally be able to have both. People should be able to go and eat fancy food or uh, efficiently made food that's just available to people, but they should also be able to like make food for themselves. And one of the reasons to, and this gets into why prepping, right? When we prep, a lot of it seems really individualistic because I'm like, well, now I have my individual stuff ready, right? But it's not so that I can like, and people are like, well, how does that help society? Because I'm a community-based prepper. Um, and one of the reasons it helps society to have your own shit taken care of is because, like, let's say there's that this, this efficient mess hall food or whatever, right? Um, if I don't need to go there because I know how to take care of myself, I can reduce the stress that everyone else is facing. So, you know, when it comes down to prepping, it's like, okay, so I have a gas mask. 
uh, you'll be shocked to know that I have a gas mask and you know, and I have a cartridge for like radiation bullshit. And if there's like a radiation bullshit emergency and there's like only limited supplies of gas masks, I'm not one of the people asking from that supply. And so I'm more able to help other people because I have my own shit taken care of. Taking care of your own shit as much as you can helps you help other people. And that's where it's fucking beautiful. Interdependence. We all take care of each other, but in a way that respects each of our own autonomy. I have a hard time imagining why anyone would want a society that's different than that. And I'm sure I will hear from, actually, I'm not sure I'll hear from a bunch of people who believe otherwise, because one thing that's great about podcasting is that like most of the people who ideologically fucking hate me aren't going to bother listening this far into this episode. But if you have welcome, and that's why I believe that anarchism or anarchic or other non-capitalist, non-authoritarian structures uh, are better. They just are at least from my point of view, and I could be wrong. I'm wrong about a lot of shit. All right. I am almost done with the philosophy side of it, and then I get to talk about gear, which everyone wants to hear me talk about. Actually, no one really wants to me to talk about. I actually have literally no idea. Everyone likes gear. Everyone hates gear. One other thing. No, you know what? I'm going to go into questions. I asked you all questions on Twitter and Facebook today, and you had a bunch of good questions. I'd love it if you would talk about the psychological barriers to beginning prepping or the meanings that prepping can carry. I'd also love it if you could talk about very clear ways of deciding where to start in, in order to avoid paralysis or overwhelm about the breadth of possibility. And so I, I read that question because it actually ties into the thing that I want to talk about, which is threat modeling. This is really complicated. It doesn't have to be complicated, but like the, it has an infinite amount of complication available to it. Um, Threat modeling is the idea is that you think about what threats might happen. Uh, you, you model the threats and then you, you tailor your response to those threats, right? Like um, if I'm worried about a fascist takeover of my country, I might have a different response than if I was worried about an earthquake. If I'm worried about an earthquake, I might have a different response than I'm worried about a tsunami, uh, zombies, etc. You know, whatever, whatever um, threats that you can think of. Now, the problem with threat modeling is that it's like really easy to be like, okay, I have my zombie bag, but now I need an earthquake bag, and it's totally different. You know, and um, and theoretically, what you should do with threat modeling is you should look at which of those things is like more likely. And clearly, zombies are more likely than a fascist takeover, a pandemic, uh, escalating natural disasters, or no, wait, no. Um, all of those are happening right now. Okay, so fortunately, a lot of things cover a lot of... There's a lot of like gear and skills and relationships that cover all of those different things, right? Like, you basically just start and then you slowly build. It is not about suddenly having everything. A lot of the thing where like people are like, I can't afford to prep... Um, often comes from the idea that like in order to be a prepper you need a gas mask a ballistic helmet a bulletproof vest a rifle you can clearly think about which threats you can clearly think of the threats that i'm most worried about right now um you know you need a electric jump starting tool for your car you need 100 gallons of water stored at home you need 50 years of food you need a goddamn bunker you know it's like you don't need, well, you literally don't need anything because we either survive or we don't, whatever. Um, but you don't have to start there. And so for me, the very specific thing, um, oh, okay, well, wait. So it's the meanings that prepping can carry and how to break through that barrier. A lot of people ask me about this. Prepping has a very right-wing reputation that it absolutely deserves because preppers are garbage overall. It's all fucking bunker boy bullshit. And like, it's just such trash. I was listening to a bunch of prepping podcasts the other day. I was on like on a long drive and I was like, I'm going to listen to other prepping podcasts. And it's this like guy who's like, I infiltrated Antifa. He like couldn't, I don't know, you couldn't even fucking pronounce it or whatever. And he was like, and if they knew who I was, they would have murdered me. But I kill men for a living. Um, and uh, and he was like talking about how the Proud Boys are great or whatever. And I'm like literally just trying to like hear how to filter water. 
and that's what I got to fucking sift through and it's just trash whatever um so prepping has a lot of negative connotations and so thinking about it as resilient communities that we're building or thinking about it as individual resilience can be really useful or even thinking about it as like you know what if you're into video games or D, like i clearly am um like i literally will bring a nintendo switch with me with skyrim and the witcher 3 if and when i bug out um uh think about it as like leveling up like gain some fucking skills you know it's cool it's like sick that you're like you know like yesterday i like started a fire with a magnesium striker for the first time and like i first failed because i didn't quite understand it and then i succeeded and i was like woo you know whatever fucking and um yeah thinking about it as leveling up is a really useful way and and the other thing is that um prepping if you do it right prepping to not be not to, to not be paralyzed by all the possibilities right like uh, i'm an anxious person a lot of you are probably anxious per- people we live in anxious times and i try to have my prepping lower my anxiety instead of increase it at some level it, you can like fixate on everything that could go wrong and be like oh no i don't have potassium iodide tablets in case i need to protect my thyroid from nuclear disaster um it's about ten dollars for a bunch of them you could one person in the group could buy 10 buy a pack and then distribute them you need one pill per adult per day um anyway i i I have potassium iodide iodide tablets but whatever like the odds of a nuclear strike or whatever right is is real low which is the threat modeling thing um so god damn i'm good at tangents when i'm by myself I'm actually really good at tangents. Other people around too. It's like kind of my superpower or, you know, um, mental health issues. Okay. Right. So the, the reason that I keep the to go bag around and stuff like that is so that, um, I don't worry about forest fire on a given day because I'm like, well, I've got that bag sitting right there and I've already done most of the work that I would need to do if I knew forest fires were coming which is make sure that my car has more than a half a tank of gas and make sure that I have a bag that I can grab and run away with if I need to. Like that's the point of a to-go bag It's just to be like, I have done what I can about that particular issue. And if you do it right, you can use that to let your brain let go of it. So think of it as an extension of self-care if that, if that helps you. Okay, in terms of where to start, uh, I would start with personally, I'm really into rather than specifically starting with to go bag, which is like the most common way of handling it, which kind of like all your survival stuff is in like one bag that's ready to grab, uh, which is cool. But, um, personally, I think that like most of the like good, cheap, small survival stuff that like is the most important all fits in an even smaller bag than that, like a fanny pack or a little tactical first aid kit size pouch. Um, and I would fill that up. And I'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode. I would fill that up and I would um, I would branch out from there. You know, start with some stuff that covers a lot of different things. Um, in which case you want an emergency blanket, a big lighter, some water filtration pills, a multi-tool, a little clip knife, a tactical flashlight, a whistle. That's a good start. Um, multi-tool is the most expensive of that. And if you don't have it, whatever, it's kind of fine. Um it's also the most useful tool, though. I love my multi-tool. God, I'm such a noogle. Okay. Next question. What about locations? Are places outside of small progressive cities a good option? And so this is a person who's like thinking about moving rurally, right? As a, I don't know whether they're thinking about it as a individual choice, like about how they want to live or as a prepping choice. And if it's a prepping choice, I would actually, uh, I would recommend against it. Only move rural if that's like a way you would prefer to be living, if you would prefer to be living rural, I know that I fucking love living rural. Um, cause I don't particularly care about being around people. Despite how much I talk about being pro social in my organizing, I am not particularly social as a person. Um, I like living rural because I can like build the stuff I want and, you know, I can play music or whatever and be loud and be alone a lot. And 
oh god i love living rural there's so much nice nature around me but only do that if that's like what you're um if that's how you want to be living because it's not specifically i don't actually feel like i'm in a better survival situation like i'm in a survive better survival situation for some problems but not a lot of problems because people are the best resource and being around people is a really good way to deal with some shit like if i'm in a city there's a fucking lot of people who are ready to stop fascism with me out where i live not a lot of people looking to stop fascism so not the best right from that particular threat model um you know it's so just um like fight where you are like fight like be where you want to be because the other thing too is right like like prepping shouldn't come at the 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 expense of like living your life the way that you want to right like like I'm going to talk a lot about how like practical clothes are great. Actually, I should do this as a tangent because I forgot to write it down in my notes. Like one of the things that I do to handle um, prepping is that I, I try to prefer practical clothes, right? But if you don't want to prefer practical clothes, fucking don't. And then just figure out how to like work around it, right? Like if you don't prefer practical clothes, like maybe keep flats in your purse. You know, like there's a lot of st- purses are great. You can carry a lot of fucking shit in your purse. And everyone who has a purse already goddamn knows this. Like purse snacks that's prepping um all these boys are like i'm so prepared i have 17 knives and like you know some woman with high heels and a bunch of like snacks in her bag is like actually more prepared for more circumstances because like your blood sugar dropping is a lot more likely than um needing to stab six bears um now i mean don't get me wrong if you got attacked by six bears you would nope you still wouldn't want knives you'd actually want bear spray even more than you'd want a gun uh, try not to get attacked by bears. Okay. Uh, next question. What is the best kind of water filtration for most scenarios? Okay. So if you're going to have like one water filter, I would personally recommend, um, a gravity, a small ceramic gravity filter, like the Sawyer brand mini, like the Sawyer mini or whatever. It's like reasonably cheap. People are like, it's so cheap. And I'm like, it's like 30 or 40 bucks, which is like not cheap by my standards, but like, you know, like cheap stuff for my standards, like five bucks. But for what it does, it's it's great. And the reason I like it is because it works as a survival filter. So it works as like an emergency filter, right? It's like two sides of the triangle. It's um, it's the emergency filter that you can carry in your backpack uh, when you're hiking. And it also, um, you know, I, I set mine up to be a gravity filter to a five-gallon bucket and used that for the first several months of COVID before I was able to figure out uh, better plumbing with different like 50-gallon drums, et cetera, on my, my cabin. And so it it can be a good stopgap into a better a better system, um, but I will try and do an entire episode on water at some point. Okay, so the next question is: What is the utility of stocking up food? What kind and how? Got a couple questions about this, and the utility of stocking up on food, which not everyone can do. This would kind of get into the you know the things that can be a little bit hard for different people. Um, a lot of people are struggling to get enough food for one meal, let alone buy two meals worth at once, right? But the utility of stocking up on food is two things. One is so that in the case of food chain d- interruption, you can like smooth out gaps in food chains, right? Like, uh, you know, when all the shit is sold out of the stores, you have enough stuff for a little while. And the other thing is that in a situation in which you need to kind of keep your head down and like not be out in public for whatever reason, um, you like already have some stuff and can take care of yourself that way. Okay. In terms of prepping food, there's two ways of doing it. Well, actually, I mean, there's not even two different ways. There's, there's, there's two different ways, but they're not contradictory to each other. It's not a dichotomy. Okay. So one of the ways that you can do it is long-term storage. You, there's a bunch of stuff where you can buy like, um, shit with a shelf life of like 50 years, whether it's like giant cans of dehydrated shit or like five gallon, um, barrels full of or buckets full of beans or rice or whatever um, that's just great long-term storage uh, that definitely costs money um, it's also always being price gouged uh, August and Farms is the brand that I have personally uh, prepped the most and what I do is I check Amazon unfortunately and I just like look to see what's in stock and not being price gouged and whenever I have an extra like 50 bucks I'll buy a fucking huge thing of beans or whatever um, but that's like not as important in most situations um in some situations i'm sure it'd be very important and i will be very sad that i have not stockpiled as much as i could have or whatever right also that takes space and that's the kind of thing that you could also theoretically uh get together with your your friends your community and and do sort of collectively 
um, you know, maybe one person does have storage space and would be more than happy to have a bunch of five gallon buckets in their pantry. I don't know. Um, okay. The other way to stockpile food, and this is like kind of the more interesting way is, and it's like the more like prepper way, right? Is that every time you go to the store and buy something that's not perishable, you buy extra. Like if you think that you eat two cans of Amy's chili every week, and um, I definitely eat at least two cans of Amy's chili every week. Then when you go to the, the store to buy your two cans, you buy three and you do that until you have a year's worth stockpiled, which would be like, what, 100 cans or whatever, 100 and uh, something, if you do cans a week, 104 cans. Once you have a year's worth stockpiled or whatever you know, fucking amount you want, you know, um, you stop buying extra, but you continue to buy the amount. And you always put your the food that you just bought at the back and then eat from the front. And so you're always eating the oldest ones because like non-perishable doesn't mean like 50-year shelf life, right? Um, and... In terms of what kind, uh, the, the main answer is like you you should prep the stuff that you actually eat rather than like stuff that's like prepper food. Like unless you fucking want to eat MREs, like MREs, meals ready to eat, they're like military rations. Um, they're not actually very highly uh, seen by most modern preppers because they, um, uh, they're expensive for what they are and they're not particularly interesting. So prep the stuff that you already eat. Um, and if you only eat really good food, that's cool. And then you're going to actually have to figure out something else to prep instead. But um, I eat cans of food because uh, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to say like only rich people eat well, but um, I don't eat particularly well. So I I stockpile stuff like that. Um, and just try and keep your pantry full. Like sometimes maybe like get shit that's a little bit more diverse than what you normally get and you know, and then at some point you'll crack into it and be like, no, it turns out I don't like canned olives or whatever the fuck. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, rather than like specifically focusing on like dehydrated shit or whatever, uh, some other random, like honey apparently lasts forever. Um, uh, apparently it just doesn't go bad and there's like ancient honey that people still eat or whatever. Um, so that's also another thing. Uh, also, a jar of peanut butter and the bottom of a pack. I learned this when I was a, a traveling, you know, oogle or whatever. Um, you will get sick of this food before you run out of it. And it can meet your caloric needs in a pinch. The other thing is that, yeah, like um, uh, prepping, especially on a budget, if you're not like trying to like be fancy or whatever, maybe, you know, everyone's dietary needs are pretty different. But like for me, my body just kind of handles of like if I give it enough food, it seems to be okay. Uh, maybe get some vitamins and shit like that. But like, you know, if I, if I need to just eat peanut butter for three days, like I really don't want to do that again anytime soon, but like, I don't think it'll like fucking murder me or anything. Okay. So what's the best way to build solidarity among leftist preppers? How do you avoid some pitfalls that erode or destroy solidarity? Okay. And, and so this gets into some shit that like I'm on personally, and maybe you're not on the same page as me about, and that's fine as I'm about to get to when it comes to working with other people who aren't my like fucking enemies, like who aren't trying to hurt me, I try to look for commonalities instead of differences. It's really easy to focus on the differences between, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a complete hypocrite. I like spend all my time talking shit on tankies, but like when in doubt, like you look for commonalities so you can iron out the differences because that's the way you do it is if you figure out what you all have in common, you can then work on what you have that's different, which sometimes like I'm going to run an episode pretty soon. I interviewed someone about like talking to rural neighbors who are right wing, you know, about like being queer and shit like that. Right. And like, like it's one of the ways that people get over their bigotry is that they're exposed to people who like don't seem alien to them. Right. Who can sit there and like talk to them about like, like if you're, you know, a rural person, you're into guns or whatever, you can like sit around fucking talking about guns or whatever. As long as it's like, I mean, if that gun person owns guns to shoot queers, then like don't fucking talk to them. But like, you know, if they just like own some guns and feel weird about queers, sometimes maybe they're not quite sure. They just haven't really been exposed to it. You know, like if you want, you can, you can focus on those commonalities to iron out the differences. And that's also true with like, within like leftist or, um, you know, other situations, right. It's like, and I actually think this is a, a problem that the left has is that we, I think it's an authoritarian urge to try to be more and more pure and focus on everything that's wrong rather than looking at things and seeing um, what is what is good about them. Uh, 
Okay, and the other thing to avoid infighting, I think I talked about this in the last episode too. Um, critique people for their strategy, yeah, that's cool, but like, um, but not necessarily like try to stop them. Like, like if someone's acting ethical but not strategic, like maybe be like, hey, like you know, there's ramifications to that action. Like if you do that, like if you break that window, the cops might come. Or if all you ever do is march, uh, nothing will ever change, right? Because um, those are strategic problems. It's not an ethical problem until like a person's like actually I'm going to smash your window, right? Or, you know, I don't know, like hurt this person who doesn't deserve it or whatever. That'd be an ethical concern. Um, or, you know, if someone is like, not only are we nonviolent, but you have to be nonviolent too. At that point, it becomes an ethical problem because they are acting unethically because telling people that they have to be nonviolent is a uh, inherently um, unethical behavior. Uh, it's authoritarian and it uh, denies people their right to defend themselves in their communities. So that's the way that I think we build solidarity is we learn how to talk less shit. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's like more details about actually building networks, but I don't know fuck all about it. I'm a podcaster. I'm a terrible organizer. Let's see. I feel like I'm learning what kinds of things are good to have individually, but I'm not as clear about items that we should make sure someone in our circles has. I see a lot on individual prepping lists and not as much on community lists. So I'm curious because these days I live with lots of people and count at least a few other houses in my core survival team. First of all, you're on the fucking right track. That is sick. I'm so glad you have multiple houses in your core survival team. And um, I think that a lot of what to do from a community prepping point of view, and actually I'm, I'm really open to feedback and uh, advice about this. Hope to try and work, talk to more people who know more about this. But I think a lot of it is actually going to have to do with um, skills rather than gear. Or rather, if it is gear, it's like gear to allow certain types of skills to work. Uh, for Off the top of my head, I've got medics and doctors. Like, you know, find someone who's either willing to skill up or already has those skills. Uh, manufacturing, DIY, and like makerspace type stuff. Like, um, you know, someone who can do like electronics, someone who can do um, machining, someone who can do woodworking, all that shit. Super fucking useful in so many scenarios. Someone who knows how to grow food. Uh, growing food like on a garden level is not a particularly specialized skill. It's one I do not have, but um, it's one that um, a lot, most of the people I know personally have. And, but some people like know how to like grow food. Like some, some people have actually like done the work to be like, well, actually, how do you get a bunch of corn to grow here or whatever, right? So we actually have carbs. See the above rant uh, that gardens alone aren't enough. Um, engineering and construction super important because i mean like obviously like it there's a lot of buildings already and we probably don't need to like spend all of our time making new buildings but we might need to shore up some existing ones we might need to fix shit there might be like fucking war like i hope to god there's not war but clearly there's already war all over the fucking world maybe you're listening to this somewhere where there is already war engineering and construction super necessary also necessary for like disaster situations that are like natural disasters and shit um and uh, a lot of like uh, gear around that, right? Like, like not everyone needs to own power tools. We can share them. Um, we're bad at it. And most people I know have their own power tools, but like we still can share them. Okay. And then uh, speaking of which facilitation skills, uh, you like, again, this is a generalized and specialized thing. Probably most people should learn how to be familiar with consensus-based decision-making or like how to organize basically groups of equals that don't want to tell each other what to do, but instead want to find common ground and work together. Um, so learning facilitation, both for internal organizing, but then also um, for uh, federating larger structures, like organizing larger horizontal structures is a very interesting and kind of specialized skill um, that is done. There are people who do it and you can learn to be one of them um, or just even diplomacy in general. Uh, not everyone is going to be particularly good at that. I have no idea whether I'd be a good diplomat. I like to think I'm very charming. I'm also very grouchy and introverted. So who knows? How do introverts do mutual aid networking? Well, I mean, I, you know, again, I just literally said I'm a fucking introvert. Honestly, I, I, I personally think the answer is that uh, you convince extroverts that it should be done and you um, talk to them about how they might want to do it. And more than that, you specifically be like, yeah, go out and network, but like, and set up mutual aid networks and shit, but like, especially reach out to introverts, you know, um, in a similar way that it absolutely behooves us, not just like ethically, but literally strategically, it's like actually a better idea is to make sure that people don't fall through the cracks. You want to make sure that people don't fall through the cracks about like physical ability, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, 
well, I'm not as able to like hike 10 miles. So where the fuck do I fit into your, you know, apocalypse plan? And, and if you have people around who can't hike 10 miles, then like your apocalypse plan should fucking consider that. Right. Um, and the same is true about, uh, like just like so many different things, right? Like there's so many people in this society who are so fucking lonely and maybe you who are listening are one of those people, right? Um, it's a massive crisis in our society right now, how lonely people are. And one of the most useful things that you can do is find those people and bring them into community and ideally bring them into community where you like, don't think, don't like shame them for not wanting to go to parties or whatever. Right. But instead just like check in on them and like help them feel useful, you know? So that's, so the answer to how to introverts do mutual aid networking is you figure out how it should be done and then you get people who are better at it to do it. it maybe there's a better answer. I'm not sure. That's like kind of what I've been trying to do. This is literally me as an introvert trying to tell you extroverts how to do it. Okay. When to bug out. Uh, when COVID first hit, I saw a lot of people post in various groups that they were bugging out. To me, it didn't really seem appropriate. I agree with you and I agree with your assessment. Bugging out is like prepper talk for, I mean, most of you probably fucking know what that means, but maybe you don't. I don't know. Um, bugging out is like when you like leave home, you like grab your bug out bag and you run. I like, I kind of like to call it to go bag just because um, bug out bag just reminds me of uh, right wing preppers. Actually, when I was younger, me and my friends called it. Oh shit gear uh, or OSG. It was like a closet that was like the OSG closet. And it was our Oh shit gear closet. I actually want to bring that back. Um, Anyway, when you bug out is like, that's the reason that bug out bags are kind of weird to me is that like most situations you don't, most situations you don't leave home. Sheltering in place is better in most crises. You have so much more stuff. You have so much more of a like built in community, maybe depending on who you are and what you got. Um, And bugging out isn't really always the best plan. However, you bug out when the fucking forest around you is on fire or there's an earthquake or certain versions of fascist takeover you might bug out for right uh but a lot of versions of fascist takeover don't fucking bug out fucking fight them right like sometimes um what's best for you as an individual might be to run but what's best for everyone is if people don't fucking always run that said sometimes you fucking run it's always about thinking about where you will be most useful to yourself and to others right um and sometimes you should run and sometimes you should fight and the one thing you shouldn't do is ignore it which is really easy to do it's really easy to just like stick your head in the sand i'm surprised how easy it is to stick your head in the sand like anyway um yeah so it's it's more important to like if when crises happen rather than like bug out like fucking help take care of people right you're the prepared one in your on your block so be like all right it's not that just like you're the prepared one. So like you bust out the emergency blankets and like walk around and give everyone survival kits. And like everyone just like comes and like, you've only got like 30 bullets. So everyone gets one bullet or whatever. Right. Um, you know, it's not necessarily about like, just like now we split up everything. Right. But you're the prepared person. So you have thought more about how to organize the people around you and how to get everything together. Okay. So what is hoarding and versus prepping? And, you know, like when, when all this like shit first started happening with COVID, everyone's like, oh, fuck these hoarders, right? And if you've got like a fucking storage space full of toilet paper and everyone around you needs you, everyone around you needs toilet paper and you're not like letting anyone have it, you're fucking hoarding and fuck you. And if people break into your storage shelter and take the toilet paper, like your own fucking problem, your own fucking fault. But um, yeah, I don't have like particularly like, wow, I have like very complicated feelings about personal and in pr- private property. Imagine that. Uh, okay, so... I think overall, the thing is is that hoarding is when you get the stuff that people need right now. Prepping is when you get the stuff that you might need. Like during the wildfires out West, I was like, God damn, I really should get an air filter. And I didn't run out and get an air filter right then. And I actually should get one now, but I haven't because money and time and priorities, et cetera. Thank you so much for listening. That was the end of the first half or first part or something of a basic intro to prepping. I'll be following up with a a later episode, which will cover to-go bags and what to put in them, survival kits and what to put them in them, basics about what to keep in your house and things like that in the near future. I've recorded a good chunk of it already, but who knows? 
We live in a very strange timeline. And also, I'll be back to interview episodes as soon as possible. So it's possible that that one of just me will be delayed. I'm not quite sure. If you enjoyed listening to this episode or this podcast in general, please tell people about it. Please post about it to social media. Please tell people in real life. Please feed the algorithms that should be our overlords by subscribing and liking and sharing and reviewing and rating and all that fucking bullshit. It has a disproportionate impact on what the machines tell other what the machines tell other machines to tell people to pay attention to. And that's gross. And I hate the fact that I think about that every single time I record an episode. If you want to support this podcast more directly, you can do so by supporting me on Patreon. My Patreon is patreon.com slash Margaret Killjoy, and I have a collection of zines and um, music and, I don't know, there's lots of stuff up there. It's not like secret podcast behind-the-scenes stuff. It's just like all of my different artistic endeavors in one place. And if you make less money than I do on Patreon, like, well, if you live off of less money than I make on Patreon, don't support me on Patreon. Instead, just contact me, and I'll give you access to all of my stuff for free because that's... Uh, it would be shitty otherwise, basically. Um, I judge the shit out of people who set their Patreons to be private in terms of how much money they make because um, you deserve to know whether or not you want to support someone and some people already make a lot of money and may- maybe make more money than you do. That's not the way that the world should work. I'm sure there's like good reasons why some people set it to private. I just don't have them off the top of my head. And I'm sure someone will come up with it. This is really not what you're here for. You're not here for hear my philosophy about Patreon, which I think way too much about because I have fed myself for a very long time off of Patreon. Thank you so much for your support, whether it's just listening or otherwise. But I, I do want to thank in particular, but I do want to thank in particular Chris and Nora and Hoss the dog and Kirk and Willow, Natalie, Sam, Christopher, Shane, and the compound for making this podcast possible. And thanks everyone for listening. I hope you're doing as well as you can in these rather interesting times. (laughs) 